and we'll cover Psalms 19, 20, and 21 today, all three written to the chief musician of David. Uh, you guys know I can never either go back or not go back or not go forward to some extent. So Rick's going to talk on Psalm 22 next week, but listen to this, Psalm 22, 3, on the praises of your people. God is enthroned on your praises. Is his throne bigger than that? Yes. But he is also enthroned on your praises. Does his throne diminish if you don't praise? No. Is he angry? No. Is he saddened? Yes. In so much as you're his proper place in your life. God sits enthroned on the praises of his people. I'm not talking about happy-go-lucky. We just go every day. We whistle Andy Griffith's theme song. It's not that. It's praising God. It's saying, wait a second. I know this looks bad. I know this looks grim. I know this looks bleak. But I can praise God, and he is enthroned in those praises. And then my mind and my eyes and my heart go to the place that it ought to be. He's a father that sees his children missing something that would benefit them greatly. Him being greater than anything and everything around you, anything and everything else around you. Hopefully that wasn't Rick's main point for Psalm 22 next week, but uh, he's got time to come up with something else. All right, Psalm 19. uh, We'll read through this. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Father, as we dig into your word today, would you give each what you have for them? Would you cause each, me and everyone else, to be ready for what you have for us? to be open to what you have for us. 
to not be condemned as the enemy would want God, but to be convicted and to be lifted up and to be encouraged in the way that you would have us go. Open your word to us, God. Let me be, let me make myself take the action to be a man who correctly handles the word of truth. And would you cover over my foolishness that your people and that I may be raised to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So Psalm 19 has been described as God's two letters to mankind, two letters to mankind, his creation and his word. Psalm 119 is an amazing treatise on the word of God. Uh, At three psalms a week, we'll be there in about eight months, if you want to read ahead Uh, We'll be at Psalm 119 in about eight months. We'll probably have to take three weeks to cover it, as long as it is. Fantastic treatise on the Word of God. Verses 1 through 4, here we see everything declaring and showing to everyone at all times the glory of God. The heavens declaring, the firmament showing, day and night talking to and revealing knowledge to people of every speech and language to all the earth even the end of the world god is constantly revealing himself to everyone on earth both those that already know him and those that don't whether they're listening whether they're looking whether they're ignoring whether they're rebelling if they knew him a long time ago and walked away, if they've never come to knowledge of him, he is pouring it out all day, every day, nonstop. That gives me such encouragement for people that I love that I feel like are missing it. It gives me great encouragement for me as I wander about, often missing it. He is pouring forth these things. It shows me that long-suffering of God. He never turns off the signal, right? God never says, this concludes our broadcast for the day, right? He doesn't go, oh, there's not enough people watching. I guess I'll stop, you know. I don't want to keep putting this out if nobody's paying attention. He says, no, I'm going to pour forth these things of me. He's working the hard-hearted. He's talking to the discouraged. David then gives a specific example here, the sun, something people could feel the power of. He says he set a tabernacle for it, a tent, a tent for the sun. You heard of the big top, right, at the circus? What's the big top? That's the, where the central attractions take place, the main tent. How big of a tent would we need for the sun? God set a tent for the sun. And everybody can feel its power. I read one article that suggested that tents were added to open-air amphitheaters because the sound from the musicians couldn't be heard as well in the open air, and it needed some type of covering. Was this God's intention, saying, I I want you to be able to hear me better? I'll create a tent for the sun. So this symbol... What I'm saying about it will better reach your ears, that you'd be able to hear my music 
better than you can now. Always looking out for us. Nothing's hidden from its heat, and nothing is hidden from the message of God. The most hard-hearted person, he is continually working on them, continually working on them. Romans 1 uh, verse 20 tells us, Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, his divine nature or deity, so that they are without excuse. Well, they are without excuse himself. Over and over and over again, he pours forth who he is day unto day, night unto night. No speech nor language where his voice isn't heard. They don't speak English. How can I communicate with them? Well, God's been taking care of that their whole lives. How could they know the gospel? We've got to do all these things. We've got to muster all this stuff. And it's good. It's good to go. It's good to go and talk. But we have people all around us that seem to speak a different language. Guess what? God speaks their language too. And he speaks to them without words. And he speaks to them with words. Over and over and over again. And then he transitions. So he's got his creation as as one letter to to mankind, and he transitions in verses 7 to 11 to the law of the Lord. Even though you could know me just from what I've made, I will give you more, God says. Even though you could know me just from what I've made, I'll give you more. Something perfect to convert your soul that eternal part of you, right? We, as we were singing, you know, the song, um, you, are, uh, you are eternal, we are a vapor. We're eternal too. I, I love the song and I'll sing it. Um, but we are eternal. Our lives here are but a vapor. But there is an eternal part of every single one of us that God wants to convert from death to life. And he wants that for everyone. No pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure in the death of the wicked for God. He doesn't look at them and say, I really want to grind you into the dust. He says, I want to give you chance after chance after chance after chance to come to me. If he's doing that with those that hate him, how much does he love you? How much does he love you that have faith in him and want to worship him? He's not withholding from you. He doesn't have his thumb on you trying to punish you for what you're not. He wants you to look to what he is that you might become more like he is. Something perfect to convert your soul. Something to make the simple wise. Something that will make your heart rejoice. The praises. The praises. Keep praising God and involve yourself in praise of God. 
not just Sunday for 45 minutes or a half an hour or whatever it is, ongoing praise of God. Your eyes enlightened. Then he says, um, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. That's weird. Clean fear, right? Washes away. What does it do? Clean fear. Uh, So the word clean is pure. Pure. The fear of the Lord is pure, and it endures forever. This is something that has eternal worth, something that has eternal value, the fear of the Lord. It's a word used for purity um, on all of the articles for the temple. That same word of clean, of pure, of pure gold, of pure gold. Make the lampstand of pure gold. Make the covering of the ark of pure gold. Pure, 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 clean. According to, right, all which God had told Moses to make according to the pattern, and this was a pattern of things in heaven. There is a clean, there is a pure fear of God that we all have to have that is eternal and good, that exists in heaven, in the throne room of God. Every single one of the elders and the living creatures, all of the angels, they have a clean fear of God. This fear is never something to be let go of. This fear is never something to say, I don't want to feel that. This is pure fear that is good and clean, not about condemnation. That we might look at God and have an enduring fear that's not temporary, not just when God is looking, but it's based on who he is always not just how he could punish us or be displeased with us in a particular situation. It's a fear based on who he is always. And our understanding of who he is always needs to grow and grow and grow and grow. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It gives us a glimpse. The law of the Lord gives us a glimpse of purity and righteousness. We can look around us and say there's no righteousness, there's no purity. God says, sure there is. Look into my law. Look into my word and you'll find it. You're overly concerned about what's going on out there? You want to find purity and righteousness? Spend more time in the word. Let God show himself to you. Let him show you what is pure and what is righteous. It's more valuable than what men covet the most. It's sweeter than the sweetest thing we could imagine. It's a warning. It says, in keeping his statutes, there is great reward. So many of us, well, I waver in this, and I know there's many people, um, we see... God at times, and some people always, and we see the sacrifice of Jesus as fire insurance. That's my fire. I got my policy. Jesus, if I had a pocket, you know, he'd fit right in there. I got my policy, God. 
You know, I'm going to get to the gates. The gates are awesome. Read in Revelation what the gates actually are, and Peter is not there because there's 12 of them, so I don't know how he could be. Well, it's heaven. He could be in all places at once, I guess. But anyway, I got my, I got my fire insurance policy. I'm good. You ever talk to somebody like that? Like you're, you know, uh, you're, you know, you have this little sliver of uh, faith, or I don't know what you want to call it, and God's got like amazingness for you. But as long as I got my fire insurance, I'm okay. And so often that's because they think that what they would have to give up is worth more than what God would have for them. Or they think they can't give it up. They've tried and they can't. And so they're just stuck with fire insurance. I remember when I first started as a financial advisor, I was working with another guy. We went to, the, we went to their door and the, the lady sees us. Honey, the insurance guys are here. <laughs> and my... The guy I was working with, he'd been doing it, you know, for like 10 years or whatever. He's so mad. He's like, We're not the insurance guys, you know. We studied. We got licensed. We did all these things. God is not your insurance guy. He's not your insurance guy. He's got so much more for you than that, than fire insurance. <clears throat> What he has is so much more valuable than anything that you could give up, even your life. To put it bluntly, right? How would I be in that situation faced with that? I hope I do the right thing. But everything that he has is far more valuable than life. Your loving kindness, wherever this scripture is, you probably know, Rick, is better than life. Right, so many of us know the song, Thy loving kindness is better than life. And we walk away from or we, we stop thinking about his loving kindness over much smaller things than life. Let's dig into his loving kindness. Um, so he's given us his creation, he's given us his law, and I think that he's given a third, and I'll say even a fourth, letter to us. One is you and I. So verses 12 through 14, it's almost like he changes and he starts talking about us as his servants. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me. I shall be blameless. I shall be innocent. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. So all of those that don't know him, all of those that do know him, have his creation have his word, have us to fellowship with, to encourage one another. And Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. So four, and I'm probably undercounting all the letters that God has given us, right? The massive mail that has come from God to us, how much of that remains unopened in your life? How many bags of mail has God sent you? that you've not opened. It's, it's beautiful what's in there. It's amazing what's in there and what he has for you. Go open up the mail that God has for you. 
Uh, Psalms 20 and 21 go together, but let's camp out in uh, 20 for a few minutes. This psalm, I, I call it the psalm of he and we. Nine verses, nine short verses. The psalm of he and we. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt... uh, May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. Look at all these may he's. May the Lord. May he. May he answer you in the day of trouble. Guess what? There's going to be trouble. (laughs) Don't be surprised. Uh, Anyone preaching a gospel that says otherwise, that's not the gospel. Anyone says you should always be healthy. Anyone says you should always be rich. Anyone says you should always feel good. That's not the gospel. There are days of trouble May the Lord answer you in a day of trouble. These are things that he does. May his name defend you or set you up on a high place. That idea is you're down in the fray and God says, I'm going to put you up here. And the fray is going on down here. May his name defend you, set you up on a high place. He's done this for us. Colossians 3.3 says, Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And 1 Peter 1.5 says, Salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter talked about, uh, in Second uh, Peter 3, he talked about that steadfastness. Beware lest you be led away from your steadfastness. God has put us in these places above the fray, still trouble, still difficulty, but we are defended by God. We are defended by the name of God. We still fight, but we fight in an impervious manner. We fight from a position of imperviousness. I don't know. How would you say that? Of imperviousness. There we go. I'll make up words as we go. Enjoy. Um, And Peter said, don't be led away from that place, that sterigmos, that steadfastness that God has for you. He's defending us. May he send you help and strengthen you. (laughs) No, we don't talk about angels much, but... (laughs) I'm talking about angels today, too, a little bit. May he send help 
send you help and strengthen you. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that the angels are ministering spirits sent forth to help those who will inherit salvation. He actually poses it as a question. Are not angels ministering spirits sent forth to help those who will inherit salvation? It says, uh, send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. God sitting in his throne room. Harry, go help Tom. (laughs) He needs you. Sending his angels to minister to you, to serve you. We don't see it, but it's true. We don't see it, and because we don't see it, a lot of times we don't believe it. I'm all alone in this situation. You are never alone in that situation. Angels. We throw out the spiritual aspect sometimes of what's going on. We throw it out the window, and we do so at our own detriment. Help is coming from the sanctuary. That angel may not appear to us physically, but they're most certainly there. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt offerings. I was reading estimates of how many sacrifices there were per day in Israel in the temple worship of God. So it was estimated that between 600 and 15,000 animals per day. You can go back and read in numbers, it talks about the prescribed sacrifices, right? The ones that had to happen every day. If it was just them, it'd be a large number. And then you got everybody coming about unintentional sin, intentional sin, Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice coming. God, please accept my sacrifice. God, please accept my sacrifice. The great thing for us is we never have to wonder, is the sacrifice for us accepted because it's his beloved son? He brought himself in perfection. In his own perfection, he brought himself We never have to wonder whether God is going to accept our offerings, remember our offerings, and accept our burnt sacrifice. He's, I have trouble with right and left. I know which one is which, but I will tell people the wrong one when I'm describing something. He sits at his right hand. (laughs) He doesn't say, oh, did I accept that sacrifice? Was that worth it? Oh, oh yeah, it's you. The sacrifice for us is acceptable forever. It's remembered forever. And we, we, there's nothing that can separate us from him. There's no doubt ever about that. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill your purpose or your counsel. And, the, and, and as soon as I read that, I was like, yes, give me my heart's desire. Fulfill every word of mine. And then I was like, oh, I don't think that would be good, actually. (laughs) Every heart's desire and every word I've said, I don't think that I want all that fulfilled. What I've said in fear, what I've said in anger, 
what I've said in discouragement or despair, I'm so glad God hasn't fulfilled so many of the things that I've said. I'm so glad God hasn't fulfilled so many of the things I've desired. God's canceled so many orders, right? They come out of me, God says, he doesn't really want that. (laughs) He doesn't know what he's talking about, right? You're about to post it on Facebook for the whole world to see. God says, let me put a filter here. Let me keep you from sending out that heart's desire because he cares for you. Your, my, our desires are words. Lord, would they align more and more with yours, your desires, your words, what's on your heart. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. These, I think, are more thoughtful than our desires and our words because we're actually coming to God. And in coming to God, there is at least some recognition of who he is and that he has the power to grant things. May he grant all your petitions. We're coming to him and we're trying to align ourselves with his purpose, not my will, but yours. Verse 6 says, Now I know the Lord saves his anointed, his Messiah. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. God did this with Jesus, but he allowed him to endure what Jesus begged not to endure. David may have been speaking of himself here, but God was speaking prophetically through him about Jesus. And finally, he says, save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. David at this time is either king himself or has been anointed to be king. He knows there is a true king. Save, Lord, may the king answer us when we call. There's no one else to look to. Well, we can look to everywhere. And we can have people that are ahead of us in faith that we, that we look to for guidance and for, uh, and for help. But ultimately, if we were the king, there is a king over us. We're only under kings. Sounds like underdog, but we're under kings. And David recognized that. Save, Lord. May the king answer us, the true king answer us when he calls. All these things God does. All these things are his domain. These are the things, the offices, the purview of he. So what about we? What are we supposed to do? Verse 5, may we rejoice and set up our banners. The idea of setting up banners is to gather around the banner in battle, to organize as troops, putting ourselves in position to serve him along with the rest of him. No one out there just on their own rallying around the banner with his people. May we rejoice, enthroning him in our praises. Oh, remember, remember what? The name of the Lord. What does the name of Jesus mean? The Lord saves. Not I save me. Not my favorite political party saves me. Not the state legislature. Not the Constitution, 
the name of the Lord, Jesus, the Lord saves. And this is exactly what he writes at the end, save Lord. The answer is always Jesus, always Jesus. Study the names of God. What has he called himself? What have those who have come into contact with him called him? Here he compares those that remember the name of the Lord with those that trust in chariots and horses, that trust in the things of this world. And he says, they have bowed down and fallen. The ones that trust in chariots and the ones that trust in horses, anything of this world, anything beside God, have bowed down and they've fallen. And so you get that sense there. There's, it's not just... I ran out of steam, I ran out of energy, and I fell. But you bow down to worship something. These things, chariots, horses, all the things of the world that would save us, were in danger of worshiping these things, of falling down before them, of bowing down before them. The pe- and when, you, when you put your trust in them, What should be happening is remembering the name of the Lord our God and rising and standing upright. That's what he has for you. That's what he wants for you. Not to bow down to anything else, but to him. Remembering the name of the Lord, rising and standing upright. And and finally, we call, we praises, prayer. Praises, prayer, let those mark your life more and more and more. Who does the heavy lifting here? God, by far. We're rejoicing, rallying around a banner. We're remembering. We're rising and standing upright. We're trusting in him. He's doing all the hard work. As mentioned, Psalm 21 is a a second half, a result of Psalm 20. In Psalm 20, the request is made. And in Psalm 21, it's answered, and I'm not going to read the whole thing here. Interesting that both, Psalm 20, verses 1 through 3, is a request, and it says, Selah. What do you think about that? Psalm 21, verses 1 and 2, at the end of those, it says, Selah. What do you think about that? One answering the other. And the things that are asked for in Psalm 20 are answered in Psalm 21. They're basically, verses 1 through 7, a recitation of how God has answered when his people cried out. All the may he's and how he answered those things. In verses 8 through 12, though, the, the tone switches and it becomes about God. It becomes, again, about may he. What does he do? And just like there's a king behind the King David... There is an enemy behind the enemy. We think we've got enemies in life, right? Oh, that guy really frosts me. (laughs) Or whatever your word of choice may be. And we've got enemy in, in the culture. There's an enemy behind the enemy. And I do want to read, I do want to read how God deals with his enemies here. Starting in verse 8 of Psalm 21, your hand will find all your enemies. 
your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. Whose enemies are we with his enemies? Verse 11 says, They devised a plot which they're not able to perform. Turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Let's talk about the enemy behind the enemy. Isaiah 14. Starting in verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This is the enemy behind anyone and your enemy. This is what's going on behind the scenes, behind the curtain, the hatred, all the things that would be done. We talk about... uh, We think about people as our enemies. There's a phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. All of the them out there, their enemy is Satan. Their enemy, whether he's animating them, whether they're believing him, he is still hater of those who bear the image of God. Every single one of them. And we can have compassion, and we see what God does to his enemies here. There's a, um, we we get this idea that there's God and there's Satan, and they're somehow equal, right? We think about hell, and Satan's ruling in hell, right? At the end, he's going to collect all these guys, and it's going to be a big party. Right, And Satan's going to torture some people and be laughing. <laughs> I got them. His fate is the same as all. Same as all. He doesn't rule in hell. He goes into a lake of fire to be tortured forever. When, when it's time, Revelation 20 says, an angel came from heaven with the keys of, uh, to the to the pit, and he bound Satan and he put him in the pit. 
an angel, doesn't name them, doesn't say it was the archangel, doesn't say it was the delta team of God, doesn't say God himself rose up and bound Satan after a great fight. There's no fight. There's nothing. One angel comes down, put your chains on. There's not this great battle between someone that is like-powered to God. And when he comes to us, what does it say we're to do? Just resist. Resist. And he has to flee. It's not like resist and he'll overpower you and you have to fight more. Just resist. And he has to flee and see how God deals with his enemy here. All of those that do wrong, we lump ourselves in that, all of them will say, right, if we do the us and them thing, all of them have an enemy who is trying to devour them. They are not our enemy. They're not. They're getting eaten up by one who said, I will make myself like the Most High. I love that it says they devised a plot which they are not able to perform. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform ever. No contests. The Battle of Armageddon. Go read about the Battle of Armageddon. There's no battle. It's like, it's done. It's amazing. God will deal with his enemies. What are we to do? Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing, verse 13, we will sing and praise your power. He and we sing.